From the pinnacle of the media landscape, this is Market Edge. Join your host, Larry Weber, as he discovers the answers from analysts, entrepreneurs, and technologists who are preparing the blueprints for the future of marketing. Hear from those who are taking us to a new age of social media, e-communities, and the blogosphere. blogosphere. Now, please welcome your host of Market Edge, Larry Weber. Hello, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Larry Weber, chairman of W2 Group, a global marketing services ecosystem organized to help CMOs in their new role as builders of communities and content aggregators. Today, I'll be talking about the future of science and education and about building communities with Giannis Melulis, President and Director of the Museum of Science in Boston. Giannis's dream is to make everyone, both men and women, scientifically and technologically literate. An innovative educator with a passion for both science and engineering, Giannis championed the introduction of engineering into the Massachusetts Science and Technology Public School Curriculum. This made Massachusetts first in the nation in 2001 to develop a K-12 curriculum framework and assessments for technology and engineering. Before assuming a leadership role at the Museum of Science, Giannis was dean of the School of Engineering at Tufts University, associate provost, interim dean of the university's Graduate School of Arts and Sciences, and professor of mechanical engineering. In addition to helping Tufts raise $100 million for its engineering school, he greatly increased the number of female students and faculty, designed collaborative programs with industry, and more than doubled research initiatives. Welcome to Market Edge, Giannis. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Uh, first question is sort of a general one, Giannis. Uh, tell us a little bit for our, uh, you know, uh, listeners who don't know much about the uh, Museum uh, of Science in Boston. That it's one of the oldest. It's one of the most visited uh, uh, sites in the world. Actually, tell us a little bit about the history, sort of what's going on today, and then maybe a little bit about the vision for the museum in the future, because you've built quite a community. Uh, the Museum of Science in Boston is indeed one of the largest and, uh, and uh, uh, one of the most visited science centers in the world. Uh, we get anywhere between a million and a half to two million visitors a year, and our visitors come from the New England area, but also from throughout the country and all over the world. The museum started in the uh, early 1800s as a museum of natural history, and then it transformed under the leadership of Brad Washburn, um, into uh, the, the, one of the first interactive hands-on science centers that bring together all areas of science. And one of our latest initiatives is to, uh, to incorporate technology, the human-made world, as a quick call to science in our exhibits, uh, programs, and deliveries. And how are you starting to integrate the technology part of this? You know, it's uh, interesting. I've gone around, um, you know, the world visiting different museums of science, and they're either very technical or they're very sort of uh, what I call the stuffed animal syndrome. Um, how are you guys going about really integrating the technology and, and the science? Well, we are integrating it in, in uh, three different uh, ways in, in the museum. Uh, first, we try to connect the science uh, content in the museum with technologies. Uh, for example, you can show the periodic table of elements and then show different products that uh, include uh, components of these elements. Um, then we have uh, separate exhibits where we engage uh, the visitors in uh, during design uh, activities. 
Um, we have a new engineering exhibit funded by the Gordon Foundation where uh, visitors can see uh, real engineers, how they became engineers, and some of the exciting products they have, uh, they have developed. Uh, so that's the second way of having people to connect with technology, understand how a human-made world is designed, who makes the human-made world, what the engineers are like, and also have a personal experience in, in designing and building uh, something. Uh, and the third way is uh, taking advantage of the wonderful uh, digital uh, capability, the Internet and um, the iPods and all that, and the phones, uh, cell phones, uh, take advantage of all this uh, capacity to connect a visitor in more and different ways with the museum. So the, the museum uh, experience is not, does not get limited solely by the actual visit. It could start the experience way before you come to the museum and continue way after your visit. That's cool. And, and how about on the web? Has the uh, museum creating more and more of an environment, um, you know, on the web? I haven't been to the site lately, but is that playing a more and more important role in uh, your strategy to, um, to uh, excite your visitors? Certainly. We have expanded our website, and uh, now we use it in many different ways. Anything from the standard uh, information uh, uh, about the museum, our offerings, uh, purchases, memberships, uh, donations, all that is now done uh, through the web. Uh, we have uh, a new program where we uh, track our members and their visits so we can, uh, we can uh, study visit patterns and areas and topics of interest. And uh, we are in the process of designing uh, interactive kiosks where visitors would be able to design things at home that we could download and uh, come here at the museum and see them at different parts of the museum. This is a, we're still at the, uh, the development level of that capability, but that's going to be the next new exciting connection through the web with the visitors. That's good. I can't wait to, to see that. I'm sure others will, too. You know, one of the experiences um, I've had in coming to your great museum is a lot of excited children. I'm wondering if, if um, you know, how does the museum go about making sure that, you know, it's a lifelong experience, that, that adults should stay interested in the new innovations of science and technology and, uh, you know, make an effort to, uh, to come see the exhibits and, and stay in touch with this. Any thoughts about adults, you know, coming and staying in touch? Uh, that, that's a challenge that most science centers have, that uh, families bring their children or schools bring, bring the school children uh, pretty much up to their teen years, and then there's a disconnect. Uh, we have been doing a pretty good job here in bringing adults. I think about 30 to 40 percent of our visitors are adults with no children here, so we do get quite a few adults that come and, uh, and enjoy the museum and the different uh, venues. Uh, the things that are important for the adult audience, uh, aside of the, of the content, is also uh, other peripheral uh, things you have, comfort of the environment, um, uh, different kind of uh, cafeteria offerings, uh, so that they could make it an evening, uh, uh, an enjoyable evening with some social component, some learning component. What are some of the, the um, you know, the current um, uh, exhibits that are, are happening at the museum right now? Well, we just opened the, our new engineering exhibit, which is a permanent exhibit that I just told you about. We have a traveling exhibit coming called Lizards and Snakes. Uh, I saw it in Houston, and it's pretty exciting. It has some really exotic <laughs> lizards and snakes from throughout the world. And also, we do have our own uh, animal collection here. We have an accredited zoo within the Museum of Science, and we present animals one or more at a time to the public. 
And as part of this exhibit, we'll uh, highlight New England uh, lizards and snakes. And after that exhibit, we'll have Baseball as America, which will be a great exhibit celebrating the history of baseball in America and also showing the science and engineering behind baseball. Boy, I still want to know how a knuckleball is thrown, the science of a knuckleball, uh, because, you know, it, it looks like it's going straight and then just all of a sudden drops, you know, right in front of the batter, and they usually strike at it. So I'm hoping that exhibit will explain the strange science around a knuckleball, Giannis. <laughs> yes, it will, and it's actually a fluid mechanics principle that makes this happen, that you, you'll be able to, to understand and experience it when you come to see the exhibit. Hey, um, what do you look for, you know, the world of marketing, which a lot of our listeners are are, uh, are interested in, you know, is changing radically because of technology, the web, the you know, the decline of uh, television advertising. What are the opportunities at a museum of science, you know, or or institutions like yours, for companies uh, to start branding themselves in a new age, you know, and, and not just writing the big the big check to underwrite an exhibit? Are there are there ways corporations can 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 help institutions like yours, um, you know, make things more uh, exciting for for you and your visitors, but also, you know, make their brand more well known. Sure, we have a number of uh, partnerships with uh, corporations, and they 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 are uh, they have a large span. We have uh, uh, partnerships on content where we work with a corporation uh, in partnership with their scientists or engineers to present a certain science or engineering content, and uh, they provide uh, intellectual and financial support uh, to sponsor an exhibit like that. Also, we have companies that sponsor our venues. Uh, let's say, they, for example, our Omni uh, films are sponsored by, by corporations, uh, and our planetarium offerings uh, can be sponsored as well. And then we have these long-term par- partnerships with companies where they sponsor uh, different packages of activities. So if a traveling exhibit comes, that they may be one of the sponsors and then maybe sponsors of a particular Omni film. Um, so we are a very visible entity because of our uh, hundreds of thousands of, of, uh, of visitors. And actually we're a venue that also attracts uh, a, a broad spectrum, socioeconomic spectrum, and also age, age spectrum. So we're quite attractive for, uh, from the marketing side of, uh, of corporate support. I know one of the corporate things that uh, is we have a lot of technology marketers that are listening uh, to our show. Uh, You've had a long-term partnership with Intel Corporation and the Computer Clubhouse. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. uh, Intel was the founding uh, partner in uh, the Computer Clubhouse that started at the Computer Museum, which uh, then merged with the Science Museum here. And it started as one uh, place where uh, primarily inner-city children would come and uh, experience uh, through computers the wonderful digital world uh, that didn't have access uh, at their home or or communities. And that uh, clubhouse now has expanded to more than 100 other clubhouses uh, throughout the United States and world, and this whole network is being managed here at the Museum of, uh, of Science. Hey, just be, uh, before our break, um, you know, you get to travel and see so many other, uh, you know, exciting museums. I mean, we have listeners from all over the world, uh, and I know it, you, you want everybody to come to the, the Boston Museum of Science, which they will. What are some of your favorites uh, around the world that might have a little different angle than, than uh, what, what you have there in Boston? 
Um, one of my favorite museums is the uh, the museum in Barcelona, the Cosmocaixa. It's a unique science center, quite different from ours. What's interesting with that science center is it uh, its content pretty much came all out of the head of one person, uh, versus most museums that uh, are you know were, were there were components of them that were developed by lots of different uh, exhibit designers, uh, and its approach is quite unique. So I would say one of my Favorite so far that I have seen in Europe is is Barcelona Science Centers, and then there are many exciting uh, big and small museums in the United States. If you are into technology, the Tech uh, Museum in San Jose is great. Of course, Exploratorium uh, in uh, San Francisco and the Science Museum in Minnesota are also great science centers. And what role does um, you know? Uh... Um, medicine and health, you know, one of the big areas of, of uh, growth in marketing and obviously business and discussion is health and life sciences. Is is that a focus of uh, of, of the Museum of Science right now? Yes, uh, a major focus. One of our most popular areas in the museum is the area we call the human body connection, where visitors could come and interact with staff in understanding uh, the, their, their body and how it, it functions. Uh, also, we have plans for the development of a new hall, the Hall of Human Life, and when completed, it will be probably the most state-of-the-art um, exhibit on human biology and technologies that affect human biology, like pharmaceuticals, prosthetic devices, artificial organs, and, uh, and biotech-based products. That's good. That's interesting. We're going to uh, want to explore when we come back after the break, you know, your interest in uh, engineering and education. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, sort of negativity around the subject from the point of view of the media and, and, and government officials talking about, uh, you know, how few engineers were graduating, how few uh, uh, women are getting involved, and uh, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, in, in the meantime, we're going to take a short break uh, right now and stand by because we'll be right back to talk with Giannis uh, Milis, uh the uh, head of uh, the Museum of Science in Boston, one of the most treasured uh, uh, science and technology centers in the world. So stay tuned for more conversation on Market Edge. Market Edge will continue in just a moment. Okay, so you're telling me that if I put the Go Currency Converter on my site, all my international customers can see how much they're paying in their own currency? Yeah, GoCurrency.com has free currency converters, language translations, international clocks, everything you need to do international business. So how does it work? Conversion elves. Conversion elves? Yeah, watch. Want to know what this will cost in euros? Check this out. Listen up, elves. We got one. $34 US. I need that in euros. Now, people. We got it. Put it up there, elves. Wow. Currency elves. Who knew? GoCurrency.com. Free currency converters, language translations, and more. GoCurrency.com. Um, hello. Uh, welcome to our website. Website traffic isn't about paying for clicks. Okay, so I guess we're going to wait until everyone shows up and then we'll... Uh, um... It's about having the right content. So while you're searching for more traffic, the folks at InfoSearch Media are creating the content people are searching for. With InfoSearch Media, you can get more traffic for less money than PPC. So the next time you need to speak to your customers... Welcome to our website. They're already searching for you. InfoSearch Media. Get content that really clicks. 
How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998 and formerly known as Joe Bucks, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. SEO 101 is now in session. Today's topic is duplicate content. Today's topic is duplicate content. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you uh, jagdor. <laughs> it just needed to be done. I'm sorry. <laughs> New episodes Mondays and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. And check out their live broadcast Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Or on demand anytime inside the Search Engine Optimization Channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Get clicked, covered, and rained on all week long on WebmasterRadio.fm. Your destination for education and entertainment. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. From the pinnacle of the marketing landscape, we now return to Market Edge. Once again, here's your host, Larry Weber. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Larry Weber, and I'm here today with Giannis Moulis, head of the Museum of Science in Boston, talking about the future of uh, science and education and technology as it relates not only to, uh, to destinations like uh, the museum and its peers, but uh, also about the future of engineering education and technology, which uh, Giannis is known throughout the world as a... Um, a, uh, a real mover and shaker. And Giannis, before the break, I had asked about sort of, um, at least from the negative side first, you know, this, this point of view that America seems to be losing the, um, at least from a perception, the, is losing the uh, sort of uh, connection of, of, of being the leader in engineering excellence, producing the best engineers, uh, and in particular, uh, having a diverse uh, set of people, including women, uh, uh, graduating from our best engineering schools. Maybe you could start at sort of that 30,000-foot uh, level and tell us your point of view about sort of the world in engineering and who's winning, who's losing, why, why countries are winning, why countries are losing, and then maybe focus right in on the United States, and then we could uh, go from there. We'll move into some of the children issues and education issues, but maybe from that top level, maybe some of your opinions on that, Giannis. Sure. Uh, if you look at the world around you, almost everything you'll see uh, in the office you're sitting or in your uh, home has been touched by an engineer. Engineers develop the, the paper, your books are printed in the ink, uh, the furnitures are, are, are built by using devices that engineers have built, your car is designed by an engineer, engineers design uh, the, the threads that go into, into, into fabric, they filter the water you drink. Um, so pretty much uh, engineers uh, have an effect to, to, to the majority of objects you use during the day and processes you, you, you use. Uh, however, in this country, very few people understand that fact and also what engineers really do. Most people think that engineers drive trains and repair VCRs. Um, and, and because of that, we've had a big challenge in attracting uh, the best minds of uh, United States children into the engineering uh, field. 
in, in Europe, one of the most prestigious professors is engineering in most European countries, and the smartest kids go into engineering. Um, it, and we're going to have a big problem uh, in this country, and here is why. About 7 out of 10 of uh, United States engineers have had a relative that's an engineer. And as demographics shift, and as you know, most engineers are white, uh, as demographics shift and minorities become a majority, in some of the underrepresented groups in engineering, like African-Americans, the preferred uh, college designation topics uh, are not related to engineering. They are medicine, law, and uh, education. So the relatives are not there in these groups that are becoming larger and larger in proportion to the whole population. To, to, to the parents are there to motivate the kids to go into engineering. So we're going, to have, we're going to have a simple numbers challenge where the number of engineers eventually will reduce unless we introduce engineering into the K-12 curriculum. So kids from all sorts of backgrounds will have an exposure to engineering, and some will choose it and some will not, but that will not be dependent on whether they have a relative or not at home. In uh, countries that are becoming increasingly competitive, like India and China, again, engineering is one of the highest coveted professions, and you get the best kids going into this field. So unless we change what we do, we're going to run out of good engineers, which will have a, a detrimental effect on our national security because we need U.S. engineers to be designing the next generation of, of defense weapons. We'll have a major impact on the infrastructure. You need engineers here running the infrastructure, the, the things that cannot be outsourced. And also, America will lose its edge on basic ingenuity and innovation uh, because you cannot impo import innovation and, and live the same kind of lifestyle you, you live in the United States. Well, well, what are some of the um, the things, the innovation things you can do to really get, you know, engineering into the curriculum of K-12? through I know you've done a lot of work on this. I remember, you know, again, I'm uh, now a middle-aged white guy, and, and when I uh, was in school, K-12, through very little was focused on two subjects that are so extremely important to us today, engineering and economics. And um, what are some of your thoughts, at least on the engineering curriculum side, to get this really down, you know, down into the systemic level? Well, the problem we have is that the topics we teach in science, and science is a discipline that we claim teaches the kids uh, about the world around them. The topics were selected in 1893 by the Committee of Ten at Harvard University, chaired by President Elliot. And what they did back then is they looked at what kids learn at home, what they need to know, and they decided what they need to know when they graduate from high school, and they figured we'll teach the rest during K-12 years. Now, the reason they left out technology and engineering is because most of the technology back in the, the 18, late 1800s was agricultural technology because most residents were farmers. So technology education was happening at home, and they didn't put technology as a discipline in schools. And as technology took off, uh, the, the, the science topics did not change, and we have reached a point now where you're considered illiterate if you don't know uh, the names of the dinosaurs or how many legs a cricket has but it's perfectly fine if you're clueless about how your car works, which is something you use every day. So we have started a new effort uh, at the Museum of Science to introduce engineering and the way you make the human-made world and technology, the human-made world, in the formal curriculum in schools. And we are working now with 42 states to implement this. Oh, that's terrific. You know, you talk about that. That's an interesting point. You know, you drive your car every day and you really don't know how it works. It's fascinating to watch, you know, my kids and my kids' friends, 
you know, the other day I said I was excuse myself from the dinner. I'm going to go online, and my daughters laughed at me, and they said, "I said, what are you laughing at?" And they said, "Well, Dad, we never say the word online. We just always are." And I'm wondering if there's, you know, sort of a societal change where, you know, we've come to expect technology just to make things easier for us, and we don't care how it works. And, you know, that maybe we have to analyze that kind of situation as well. Well, there are some technologies, of course, we take for granted, but I would argue that the technology is so pervasive, and it's not only iPods and computers and and high-tech devices, a faucet is technology, and most people don't understand how a faucet works. So it's basically it's basic literacy just to understand how the world around you functions, which 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 we don't have. Yes, some devices now are extremely complex; it will be very difficult to understand. But even having an interest in trying to understand the human-made world uh, would be terrific. You know, that's great, and I'm I hope our listeners at corporations will understand that one of the greatest things that uh, they could do is, you know, that, that base understanding of engineering literacy is uh, probably a really important thing, especially for companies in the technology, medical, um, you know, and uh, computer uh, software fields. Um, hey, Giannis, at the end of a lot of my programs, we try to sort of get off the you know the the direction of the actual uh focus of your job and topics and talk about you and and especially the internet and uh wondered about you know uh, do you have any favorite sites you'd like to share with uh with our listeners or or what's your view of sort of the today's web and and the future of the web as it relates to you know society and and uh and learning and, and education. Uh, and so it's sort of a twofold question, uh, uh, both your favorites, but also the potential of, of maybe one of the greatest uh, inventions of the last uh, hundred years. Um, I use the, the Internet aside of communicating through, through email, um, primarily for the, the data gathering and information gathering, uh, anything from uh, uh, trying to find out what other museums are doing or other exciting exhibits, uh, learning more about some new science, a breakthrough or engineering development, um, uh, getting some information for a potential trip I will make, uh, anything from finding out about the organization I'll visit all the way to a great restaurant. Uh, so I, that's how I use primarily the web. So uh, Google and TripAdvisor and all these are, are my main uh, the main websites where I start my uh, my searches, along with some web websites relevant to, to, to the museum. Um, the web can play a terrific role also in building communities around institutions like ours. Um, the, it's amazing how uh, YouTube and other um, similar um, websites uh, are, cre are creating uh, communities and uh, like MySpace and Facebook and, and all the others. And if we find creative ways to incorporate this kind of uh, of, uh, of world in uh, in uh, in our world, in the museum world, that will uh, be become much more attractive to the younger people. That that's the way they communicate these days. Uh, the way that young people learn has changed dramatically over the last five years. And museums and schools have not adapted, so we are actually actively looking into potential solutions and, and, and developments uh, that we could, uh, we could use to transform the interaction interface between uh, the public and the museum. So do you have a Facebook page yet, Giannis? Not yet. <laughs> My daughters are about to teach me how to make one. 
<laughs> but my, uh, I told this to another uh, uh, show interview that uh, my middle daughter came and told me, you know what, Coke, Coca-Cola wants to be my friend, and we just think that's the silliest thing uh, on Facebook. And so we all have a lot to learn about uh, this new communications platform uh, that's happening around us. I think it's really cool, and I would love to do it, frankly, just a matter of time. <laughs> Yeah, it's you know how much time do you really have uh, to devote to these kinds of things? Hey, you know, a, a last question. Um, you know, what what really you know keeps you driving every day and 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 gives you the kind of uh, energy that you uh, you show uh, in this interview today? Uh, and and then what's the promise of tomorrow? You know, are, are we? You think we can win? You think we can have more and better engineers and 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 more engineering um, literacy and uh, and make this a better world um, uh, in your eyes? Uh, I'm very optimistic because we have uh, our approach into working both into transforming our museums and our museum and other museums to incorporate the human-made world along with the natural world uh, is, is, is a great move because we get, collectively, museums get millions and millions of, of folks uh, visit. Uh, and uh, if we can use the informal learning world, like museums, to infuse technology understanding to the general public, and then at the same time, which is our other approach, work with schools throughout the country to include engineering and technology in the formal curriculum, that will be a comprehensive solution to the challenge we have in, in uh, exciting and motivating more kids to go into engineering and simply creating a more technological literate public. Well, um, I want to thank you for being on the show today and thank you for all the important work you're doing. Uh, all our listeners, you know, we're not going to have the kind of exciting careers we have unless we have, uh, you know, a next generation that is understanding uh, of, of technology and engineering and its crucial role in everything we do. So, Giannis, thanks so much for being with, uh, with Market Edge today. Thank you very much. And... We have just uh, talked with Giannis Melulis, who is head of the Museum of Science in Boston. If you're ever in Boston, please get there. It's one of the, uh, the greatest uh, centers of science and technology uh, in the world and uh, is really helping to build communities in this uh, era of social networking around um, uh, engineering and technology literacy and um, is very important to the future of what we all do. Uh, be sure to tune in again next Tuesday at 12 Eastern Time at webmasterradio.fm for another edition of Market Edge. Thanks and goodbye for now. <laughs>